The patented pod shatter reduction technology canola hybrids from Invigor are the perfect blend of strength and durability. Stronger pod seams and stems protect the canola seeds within while protecting you from potential yield loss. And that gives you added flexibility at harvest, even when dealing with adverse weather conditions. Shattering yield records, not pods. That's smart. Contact your local BASF seed advisor today. Always read and follow label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we kick off a new week. Here we are now in the month of December. Merry Christmas to all of you. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And here we go. Congress is back in session. They don't have much time basically three weeks to get a lot done we'll be talking about that on the program today and for the next three weeks i would imagine weather also a big story still a lot of uh, really challenging weather over the holiday weekend dtm meteorologist bryce anderson will be with us we'll talk markets with arlen suderman with intl fc stone does he see any rally here at the end of the year or not. And Donnell Rehagen will join us, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. We have RFS things to talk about, tax extenders to talk about with Donnell later in the program. But we're happy to start things off with Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I did, Mike. I hope you did, too. It was a crazy weather sort of uh, holiday, but uh, hopefully everybody got back safely and I had a good chance to enjoy time with family. Yep. Um, as a Cowboys fan, I say my food was good. My football was not so good on Thanksgiving, but I ate early because yeah. I was afraid my appetite might get ruined later, and that's what happened. But uh, I, yeah. I adjusted <laughs> accordingly and got everything taken care of. All right. Let, can Congress get everything taken care of? I mean, their plate is very full, and they've pushed so much back down into this short window. Uh, what do you think happens first here? Well, you know, that's usually when Congress can be some, so many ways the most effective is when they have these end-of-year deadlines and a holiday at the same time. It really makes a big difference in terms of pushing a lot of things through. And, you know, last week, Mike, when you and I talked, there was a lot of pessimism about USMCA, and I said that I still think it can get done. Well, it's amazing what happened just last week where we had negotiators from Mexico and Robert Lighthizer, our U.S. trade rep, and from Canada, their top trade negotiator, all talking and uh, visiting with the Democrats on the House side who still had some concerns. But what came out of those discussions was a renewed level of optimism. Uh, Mexico's top trade negotiator was especially optimistic that he thought the deal was getting to a place where everybody could sign. So uh, I, there's a, a lot of interest. I don't know if it'll be this week or next, but I think certainly... If they're going to move USMCA, they could do it within the next week or two. I hope they do. And I said all along I thought it would be right before they went on their their Christmas break. But, you know, it's up and down. I mean, one day you hear, yeah, it's it's moving, it sounds positive. Then you hear, no, it's going to be into next year. And I don't know, until it happens, it's it's hard to get overly optimistic, I think, because so much could still go wrong. Well, that's exactly the case. And, of course, overhanging everything is the impeachment process. And the House Judiciary Committee officially begins its impeachment hearings on Tuesday. 
So that's going to be the steady drumbeat that you're going to hear. But I think it behooves uh, the House Democrats, especially those who are in swing districts and rural areas, that want to demonstrate that they can actually get something done for farmers and ranchers in this country, that they can move ahead on USMCA. So uh, I still think that's doable. You know, we were more optimistic probably last week on the China trade talks, but of course the president got a little bit between a rock and a hard place between the legislation that came to his desk to support pro-democracy efforts in Hong Kong, and certainly we as Americans uh, have looked at that for a long time as a something that we would support. Uh, but, of course, when you're trying to deal with the Chinese on very sensitive issues like a, a huge trade deal, that's just another slap in the face to, to their style of government. So that looks a little less optimistic right now, although... You know, we still got a little bit of time before the December 15th tariffs were stated to go into effect. And so I think we're going to watch how that plays out and whether or not the U.S. administration will roll back the existing tariffs, which seems to be what the Chinese want now. Uh, all those things are in play as well. It, it, it's interesting, would be interesting to know what you mentioned those House Democrats that uh, are going to face those reelection battles. Uh, I wonder what they heard from constituents when they were back home over the holiday break. That may influence greatly what happens here in the next three weeks. Speaking of trade and tariffs, hey, we have tariffs back on steel and aluminum, this time Brazil and Argentina. While that may not be a lot as far as product is concerned, it it, it kind of sends that signal again. Here we go on, on tariffs and trade battles. Well, exactly. Uh, you know, you probably woke up to the same uh, tweets from the president that I did. You know, I checked my Twitter account first thing in the morning, and there he was mm-hmm. tweeting about enacting tariffs again, uh, 15% um, or higher, that will be going on Brazil and Argentina because he's accusing them of presiding over a massive devaluation of their currencies, at the same time making a call for our Federal Reserve to, to make some more efforts to... Uh, you know, on interest rates. So uh, it's the tariff game is going to continue regardless of, you know, what country we're talking about or, you know, how the president is viewing these things because he feels that they've been effective. And if he can uh, find a country that is not treating our farmers fairly, as he mentioned in his tweet, uh, he's more than eager to slap those tariffs back on. And you've got the ag labor reform bill. Uh, do you see it going anywhere, or is it kind of stuck now? Well, it's certainly slowed down. You know, it, it has a, a tremendous amount of support within most of farm country. But as we've talked before, Mike, you know, American Farm Bureau has had some concerns about the bill on a number of, of uh, areas. And so with that kind of uh, backwind, uh, kind of pushing back on it and Certainly, you've got a lot of Republicans. Uh, the judiciaries, Doug Collins of Georgia, he denounced the measure as a massive amnesty bill. And so um, I think the Democrats could probably advance the bill in the House. But even if they are successful in doing that, and Representative Zoe Lofgren of California has offered to make some additional amendments to appease some of the concerns in farm country. So if they do make some amendments, they could probably get it through the House floor but it doesn't look likely to go anywhere in the Senate anytime soon. What we've seen in the past on these issues when it comes to immigration, if you throw in the amnesty word, that usually just stops everything. Absolutely. People are very much against that. And, 
even though this bill has a, a lot of good things and, and strong support. More than 300 national, local, state farm organizations are on board, including some of the state farm bureaus like California Farm Bureau, but American Farm Bureau is not. Uh, they don't think there's enough relief from HGA on wage rates and they also don't like some of the things that would allow employers to uh, employees to challenge employees in court. Well, it's going to be a fascinating three weeks. We'll see what they can get done out in Washington, D.C. They've got a lot on their plate and not a lot of time. But as you said, this is when usually they get things done when they have to, when they run out of time. So they've pushed it just about as far as they can. We'll see what gets done. Sarah, as always, thank you. Talk to you again soon. Thanks, Mike. Sarah Wyatt, editor, president, AgriPulse Communications. Wow, what a holiday weekend for weather. A little bit of everything and still more coming up for parts of the country, making things very challenging. We'll talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson next on AOA. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Poncho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Poncho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, to say the holiday weekend weather was challenging for some would be an understatement. Wow, some heavy winter weather in parts of the country. Let's talk about it with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, thanks for joining us. Uh, Quite a system or a series of systems that moved across the country. Yes, it was a very stormy weekend, Mike, and uh, we're still getting the uh, the final round of energy with that storm in the northeastern part of the country today. Uh, there's snow over much of the interior northeast, and then uh, it's uh, going to actually uh, hit part of the Canadian Maritimes on Tuesday, and uh, there's even a little bit of leftover low-pressure troughing in the Ohio Valley, producing a few snow squalls there. And um, after the um, big snowstorm and everything. Uh, you've got uh, snow depths indicated uh, here on Monday from central Nebraska north all the way to the North Dakota Canadian border of anywhere from around four to eight inches uh, with over a foot in the Black Hills of South Dakota and uh, close to 20 inches in uh, the immediate Great Lakes, you know, northeastern Minnesota, northern Wisconsin into Michigan. Uh, so they really got a, uh, a real heavy uh, snow cover uh, still on the ground. Other areas got uh, quite a bit of rain. It just adds up for those with harvesting still to do, just pushes it back even more. Well, it does. Um, I, I like to think that there may be some chance for um, conditions to offer a little bit of, uh, of, of uh, progress as we go through this week, because it is uh, certainly a lot quieter uh, over most of the Corn Belt today, and it's going to stay that way through this week. I know that it's uh, it's uh, still probably not going to be completely 
um, available, completely open in terms of field conditions. But there is going to be, I think, a chance, uh, you know, for for uh, areas that maybe didn't get quite as much rain or the uh, or the uh, rainfall or precipitation um, dried out quicker or ran off, you know, that type of thing. Uh, to offer some, uh, you know, some scenario for for progress. I I do think that there's going to be some corn still in the field all the way through the winter, but um, hopefully that amount is going to be whittled away because we know that uh, leaving crops out, uh, you know, leaves them in danger of, uh, of just completely being lost. And uh, I know that uh, during the past weekend there was a lot of real frantic uh, harvesting uh, that was going on. Uh, just before the storm hit in in order to uh, try to get as much done as possible. Weather's really been the big story all year, so I guess we shouldn't be surprised it's finishing the year out the same. December, it's a, it's a key issue, just like it has been all the other 11 months of 2019. Yeah, very much so. Uh, there was a, a little spell there in January of, la- of this past year uh, where things weren't Maybe quite as uh, quite as stormy, but then uh, February came on with uh, snowfall and uh, pretty cold weather, and then I I truly think that uh, the bomb cyclone that uh, hit in Nebraska and uh, then roared through the western Midwest in mid March uh, just literally broke everything loose, and uh, that's both literally and figuratively. And, uh, you know, we had just uh, wave after wave that, uh, that came on after that. And, and now here in the, in the late fall into early winter, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, stormy pattern uh, just wanted to reinforce itself and stay with us. Yeah, because even when you had those quiet times, we were recovering from uh, the previous stormy time, so there really wasn't hardly any. I mean, there were those windows in there which allowed, of course, the planting to finally get done, and there were windows for some to get harvesting done, but it wasn't uh, very widespread. So a quick check before we talk about the DTN Ag Summit coming up next week, a quick check on South America and their weather. The uh, the circumstances are still looking quite favorable in Brazil over the next week, uh, Mike, because uh, just about their entire soybean belt is going to have anywhere from one to three inches of rain. And uh, the Brazil uh, soybean uh, soil moisture is looking really good at this point. I, I see no reason to think otherwise. Now, Argentina is going to be a little bit drier. They may have uh, a quarter to a local half-inch rainfall and on the face of it, you'd think, well, they, they may get a little bit of a stress uh, thing going on. But the temperatures in Argentina are going to generally be below normal. So I don't think they're going to just uh, have a, a real dry pattern developing. You know, that's always the, the big thing now because we're moving into summer in the southern hemisphere. But uh, right now, it doesn't look too bad at all. All right. So next week, we're in Chicago at the Fairmont Chicago Millennium Park Hotel for the DTN Ag Summit. That's coming up next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I'll be there broadcasting next Tuesday, a week from tomorrow. Tell us about uh, who we're going to have a chance to hear from at the DTN Ag Summit. Well, the overall theme is uh, winning strategies to overcome obstacles. And uh, I think that it's going to, uh, the uh, the speaker uh uh, program is, is uh, certainly one that that is uh, you know kind of tailored uh, toward uh, that that type of uh, focus. Mike, um, we're going to have uh, 
featured speakers uh, from uh, from John Deere, along with uh, several uh, top uh, management and uh, advisory um, groups on business uh, to you know to offer the the uh, latest in terms of uh, strategies for for producers to uh, think about in uh, getting ready for uh, managing their their uh, business plans for the rest of of uh, this particular year and then looking ahead to next year. Uh, we're also going to be honoring uh, some of the top uh, young farmers in the country. That's a, uh, that's a project that we have, uh, that uh, we've been running for uh, quite a while. And the, uh, the main uh, feature besides uh, the, the speakers uh, who we will have and uh, their, their focus is that uh, we just uh, offer our, our uh, summit uh, attendees a uh, a real uh, a, a real large amount of time to just kind of be with each other and and uh, exchange ideas and and uh, probably after this year do some commiserating about about how the year went and uh, maybe offer ideas to each other back and forth about how they handled uh, some of these uh, production challenges that it seemed like everybody ran into for this year. And that's one of the things about the summit that, uh, that everybody um, says uh, is, a, is a real big uh, drawing card for them, uh, is that they simply have plenty of chances just to uh, talk with each other and exchange ideas. Can, they still re- can people register still that haven't already? They certainly can, and uh, we, we encourage that. Uh, just go to uh, dtnagsummit.com, and uh, they can, uh, you know, they can uh, still uh, get on board for the summit. We're happy to have them, or they can, uh, they can uh, even, if they want to, they can write me an email, and, I'll, and uh, I'll get it routed around to the right people, bryce.anderson at dtn.com. I mean, uh, I'll be glad to help out in any way that I can. Well, there you go. That's full service right there. Personal care from from uh, Bryce Anderson to get you to the DTN Ag Summit. I'm glad to do it uh, because it is a good time. Um, I've I've uh, certainly enjoyed the uh, what eleven years, uh, twelve years that we've uh, that we've we've had the program, and uh, my weather talk, by the way, is going to be on Wednesday morning, uh, December the 11th. And uh, the title of my talk is "The Rain of Rain," because uh, that's you know that's obviously a, a paramount feature that we've had this past year in terms of production and uh, how that enters into the forecast and uh, the the start of this uh, next year is a a real big item for everybody. Yeah. With all those topics to discuss, very important topics, again, as I said earlier, weather is going to be front and center on everyone's minds looking back at this year and looking ahead and hoping for something better next year. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and along with that, you know, you get into the, the uh, management of uh, wet ground. Uh, how do you deal with that? Um, you know, all, all sorts of uh, different you know different wrinkles that uh, this this kind of a year put on uh, in terms of growers and uh, their their situation. So that that's another thing that the summit uh, offers me personally uh, is a chance to uh, to visit with uh, producers about uh, how the past year went for them, and uh, that that actually works its way into my forecast comments. Uh, the next year, Mike, because um, 
you know, having that background information is very useful. Very good. Look forward to it next week in Chicago, the DTN Ag Summit. As always, good to talk with you, Bryce. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Mike. We'll see you next week. Okay, DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Up next, any chance of a market rally yet this year? We'll talk with D- with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. That's next on Adams on Agriculture. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credence soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, Credence Soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, we're joined by Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, always good to talk with you. We've talked a lot throughout the course of the year, and in a moment I want to look back a little bit, but right now I want to look forward. We've got a month left now. Here we are into December. Do you see any rallies coming in the markets this month? Well, we really don't have a reason to sustain a rally right now because the market's pretty content with USDA's numbers on the supply side, and so then it comes down to demand. USDA numbers suggest that we're adequately supplied. So can we change the demand picture? We really don't see any a big weather problem in South America for corn or soybeans right now. We have to keep our eyes on Argentina. So that means that the only place we could really impact that demand near term would probably be a phase one trade agreement with China. We've got the December 15 tariffs scheduled to go into place. That's really the only hard deadline we have right now in place to push China over the finish line, if that'll work. And so that's why we keep our eyes on it, because that's the one thing that could dynamically kind of change this marketplace. Now let's look back. If we were back on January 1 and could have somehow had a crystal ball that would have told us basically what was going to unfold in 2019, especially from a weather and production standpoint, uh, we've talked a lot about this during the course of the year. Why weren't markets higher? Why weren't they reacting more uh, to what was going on production-wise and the challenges going on? Are you surprised, given all that's happened now, that prices are where they're at? Well, I am surprised because if you had told me in January 1 what we were going to face in the way of weather risks to this market, I would have thought that we would have ended up with USDA printing a smaller crop than what it has done to this point. And, And the markets have really... I think more than any time that I recall in the last four decades of my work in this area, uh, have really become much more dependent on what's USDA printing in the next report. And uh, it used to be that they would speculate, ah, USDA is not reporting at all, or they're reporting too much, or whatever. Uh, but it's pretty much now, and I think it's largely because of the advent of the algos really taken over the markets, the computers trading, uh, just trading momentum and technical signals. It's really until USDA says it, we're probably not going to trade it. And not to discount the the futures market, but really the market for most farmers right now is the basis market. It really is, and uh, it's the best uh, indicator of uh, short of near term supply and demand. And uh, what it's telling us right now is demand is stronger than supply. 
uh, at the present time. The big question, and I know a lot of people say that proves that the crop isn't there. No, that doesn't prove it by itself. Uh, we know that farmers are getting um, the uh, market facilitation payment checks from the government, which helps them pay storage and hold out for higher prices. So that is part of the factor there as well. Uh, we can debate how much smaller the crop may or may not be from what USDA says, but both are really a factor at this point. And uh, so with the farmers generally not selling and the demand continuing to plug along at, at a stronger level than I think the market really anticipates. Yes, exports are down dramatically. Uh, yes, ethanol grind margins have been poor. Uh, but I think feed usage is stronger than what's being currently indicated. And even with the export numbers that we have and even with uh, uh, the overall ethanol numbers that we have, we still have to pump almost a quarter billion bushels through that supply pipeline a week. And with farmers not selling, that means we have to have stronger basis to keep it moving. Talking with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. We knew it was going to be a late harvest, but are you surprised at the number of acres still not harvested as we go into December and the likelihood that a large number of acres won't be harvested as we go into January? Yeah, maybe not till the spring thaw, unfortunately, depending on how much snow we get. Not really surprised looking at the type of growing season we had. This has been one of our concerns all summer long, and what's left out there to a great extent is low test weight, poor quality corn um, that I think is going to impact those final numbers as well. We'll get an update from USDA today. Uh, but as of last week's data, and we didn't make a lot of progress over the past week because of the weather, um, we still had 300, nearly 330,000 bushels of corn still in the field in North Dakota, 189,000 in South Dakota, 174, excuse me, 189 million in South Dakota, 174 million in Minnesota, 352 million bushels in Iowa. So a lot of grain still in the field. Some was harvested last week. Uh, where they were able to avoid the storms ahead of the storms, but then that really brought it to a halt. There's a lot still out in the field, and uh, there's going to be some field losses with that. Yeah, millions of acres still unharvested as we go into December. Uh, as you look, as we look into next year, are you bullish for the livestock markets? I mean, we talk a lot about the. Uh, that protein demand caused by African swine fever that's really out there, do you see us being able to take advantage of that? Yeah, I do think. Uh, the problem we've had with the hog industry is we expanded too soon, too fast, so we built up the surplus before China started to take shipments. China is starting to take shipments now, but we have this surplus on top of the market. Meanwhile, we are seeing a rapid escalation of global protein prices, meat from uh, all around the world. China is taking meat from wherever it can get it. It's lifting restrictions it had on many different countries. We did see meat prices in China pull back over the last several weeks, but now it's starting to go back up. That was kind of some one-off reasons, the kind of an aberration that it went down from those high prices it was at, but now it's going back up again and we anticipate that's going to continue. China continues to say, oh, we're going to be getting production back up soon, and they still haven't found a way to stop the disease. They've been able to slow its spread, 
in some of the larger commercial farms, but not be able to stop it. Everyone's still vulnerable. There is no vaccine yet that's uh, been able to be developed that's effective, and it's spreading throughout East Asia and parts of Russia and Eastern Europe. We've already taken more than a third of the world's hogs out of production, and that's going to continue to support the protein complex. Which should be at some point supportive of the grains right is it to feed the if we're going to raise more we're going to grow more to feed them it's negative for the protein uh, feed protein as in soybeans um, because we have killed demand there faster than what we can restore it and that's a problem for soybeans for the corn side it has been negative for chinese corn feeding even though their total consumption is still greater than they produce so it's still net positive there on corn and we look globally with higher feed prices we're already seeing a a good example this is brazil china has been very aggressive in taking uh, poultry and pork and beef from brazil and their livestock prices are up significantly result their feeding margins are up and so they are seeing an escalation now of corn prices in the interior of Brazil sufficient to encourage expansion of production uh, simply because of what we're seeing. And I think eventually we'll see some of that strength here in the United States as well. The question will be on timing. Will the timing be enough for planting decisions in the spring or not? And, And I think that may also hinge somewhat on if we get a phase one China trade deal. Right. Now we woke up this morning to the news of uh, steel and aluminum tariffs, and then we kind of, uh, you kind of held your breath till you saw the rest of it and said Brazil and Argentina. And while you can, there's concern about more tariffs, that wasn't as big as if it had been some other country, like if it was back on China or Mexico or something like that. But what do you make of this news? And is it ominous? Is it uh, significant? How would you view it? Yeah, you're right. If it had been on Mexico, it would have been much more negative news for us. Uh, I think I heard that we get about 4% of our steel and aluminum from Argentina and Brazil. I thought what was more significant was that President Trump said he was doing this because the currency changes in Argentina and Brazil were causing them an unfair uh, advantage over U.S. farmers. So while it was steel and aluminum, his reason cited was to support U.S. farmers. And uh, that just communicates, again, that in an election year, in the next 11 months, he has made a commitment to try to get the farm vote, and he's going to do whatever he can to try to put money into farmers' hands, be it through higher grain prices or through cash in hand, through payments of some type. He's going to try to find a way. Um, So that has a lot of implications going forward for what we can anticipate in the way of policy coming from the administration over the next 11 months. After the election, who knows? That's up in the air. But for the next 11 months, U.S. agriculture should feel like there's going to be some efforts to support money coming into their hands. Well, numbers are out saying government payments would account for about 24% of all farm income. That would be the largest share in more than a decade. Some of that has to be, no doubt, uh, election-driven, right? Yeah, absolutely. That is a key factor right now. And with the impeachment inquiry going on, that provides that much more incentive uh, for President Trump to try to keep the farm vote and do what he can for it. Obviously, one of the things that uh, I think farmers would like to see is they'd like to see trade. They'd like to see the bushels move. They'd rather see that than get a check from the government. 
um, but it, uh, it does say that the farmer's on the radar of the uh, administration. All right, Arlen, it's going to be an interesting uh, rest of the year. Thank you very much. Always good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Take care. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. All right, we have some things going on, or on hold, actually, uh, on the RFS and where we're at with the waivers and things like that, accounting for lost gallons. We're going to talk about that and the tax extenders. Where does that stand for the biodiesel tax credit? Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, joins us next. Stay with us on AOA. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres? That's smart. With Credence Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credence variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Joined now by Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. A couple of things I want to get into. Uh, Donnell, first of all, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, we had a deadline pass over the weekend, kind of as expected, because of a public comment period also ending at the end of last week. So we're still waiting now on RVO levels and what's going to happen with uh, any reallocation of uh, lost gallons to uh, small refinery exemptions. Uh, when, are you, when are we expecting to hear some of these decisions and announcements? Well, Mike, uh, you know, hopefully by the end of the year. Uh, normally, as I said, November 30th would typically be the deadline, but the uh, supplemental rule, you know, related to the SREs kind of push the timeline. And so, uh, obviously, the earlier the better, so we're hopefully uh, hopefully shooting for the end of the year with the EPA. Still waiting. Of, <laughs> how many times have we said that this, this year? Still waiting for some kind of decision from the White House. Well, we are. Um, you know, we've seen through the supplemental rule uh, what the EPA had in mind for calculating these SREs, and it wasn't uh, what we understood that the, quote, deal to be in the White House. And so uh, I do understand that the uh, Senator Grassley had the opportunity to address that with the president within the last couple of weeks, uh, the fact that the supplemental rule didn't reflect that deal that was negotiated. And uh, so we're hopeful that because of that and this large amount of comments that have been submitted by the ethanol and the biodiesel industry to the EPA, that they have an opportunity to revisit that supplemental rule and maybe look at a more fair way of reassessing those uh, gallons associated with the SREs. Senator Grassley will be on with us one week from today, so maybe we'll have a little better handle on that situation, a little clearer picture, hopefully, by that time. All right, let's turn to tax extenders. This is also key for the biodiesel industry. Here we are, three weeks basically left in this session. Uh, where do we stand? Well, we have a number of opportunities coming up, it looks like. Uh, Congress, it looks like, intends to do a lot of funding bills uh, here in the next three weeks before the uh, before the continuing resolution expires on December 20th. And so each and every one of those uh, funding bills has the opportunity to carry tax extenders. And so we're pleased about that. Uh, we're also hearing there's a lot of good uh, coalescence of ideas and, and support for the tax extenders package among 
Republicans and Democrats, House and Senate. And so we're feeling uh, like things are lining up well, but uh, there's always an opportunity for things to go off the rail there in D.C. Is there opposition to the biodiesel tax credit, or is it opposition or lack of support for a tax extenders package as a whole? Typically what we run into, Mike, is just a lack of support for tax extenders as a, a, as a way of, of enacting tax policy. Uh, so there's no uh, adversity to biodiesel tax credit or, to my knowledge, any of the individual pa- uh, tax extenders that are in that package. But uh, just the idea that that's, this is not the best way to do tax policy, that's kind of the general uh, response that we get to anyone who, who may just not feel positive about tax extenders. So is your best chance, your best vehicle being part of the spending bill? Well, those spending, there's a number of those spending bills, so to speak, you know, as they sit forth to fund each of the individual agencies. So there'll be a number of bills. So any one of those could carry tax extenders. I mean, there's also an opportunity that Congress could put all of those bills together into a big omnibus package. Uh, so those, uh, either one of those, whether it's a large package or a series of smaller funding bills, uh, more agency-specific, so to speak, any of those afford us the opportunity for tax extenders to be as- attached to those. As time draws close to good, them breaking for Christmas, that it really puts a lot of pressure on. Is that an asset to you, or does that hurt you? I mean, the urgency is to get something done, but is there the risk of, uh, at the last minute, as we've seen before, it's just not included? Well, there is that opportunity, I suppose, but I think that they've set this process in place this way. We've been hearing about this for a number of months, uh, that tax extenders, you know, there was great support for tax extenders, uh, and it would likely be on one of these funding bills, depending on how that was carried out at the end of the year. So they've asked us to be patient again, uh, and as an industry, I guess we have no choice, but uh, we've been patient since uh, the beginning of January of 2018. And so so here we are, we find ourselves in that spot. But I do think the urgency for them to fund the government, because their other choice is to shut the government down, and we know how that's been uh, received in the past when that has been done. And so I think that we, we we're in probably as good a position as we can be right now. To say that 2019 has been a challenging year for the biodiesel industry would be a huge understatement, wouldn't it? Absolutely. We've seen 2019 take uh, some of our uh, production plants offline. We've seen some closures of plants. We've seen a number of jobs lost um, as we've waited for you know, Congress to figure out how they want to, to handle this tax credit. And, you know, the, the thing about this tax credit is it, it impacts not just the biodiesel industry, but the whole entire supply chain. And so it's had an impact not just on us, but on everybody all the way down through to the retail sites. And so we just need this clarity once and for all. Uh, the industry can then make the choices and decisions it needs to make. Because right now you're looking at a cutback in production, idling of plants, idling of workers, is that right? That's exactly right. And, of course, you know, here we are in the holiday season, uh, and folks are sitting at home without jobs and, and hoping for, you know, the future of these plants to reopen and to, for their employment to come back. And so it's extremely difficult time and, and something that we really don't want to see. And, of course, you know, here we are cutting back production of one of the best fuels on the planet from an environmental standpoint from an economic development standpoint. I mean, there's just so, so many great things uh, the biodiesel industry brings to bear, and we're sitting uh, sitting on the sidelines uh, kind of watching this. R- real quick, if the tax extenders 
package passes, you get the biodiesel tax credit back. How quickly can that turn around the industry or help turn it around? Well, I, I think pretty quickly. I mean, nobody's wanted to close plants permanently, and so, uh, you know, the cash infusion that the tax credit will bring back will certainly change some balance sheets around and allow things to turn back pretty quickly. But the plants that have been shut down, it's going to take, uh, you know, several weeks to get those up and running again. All right, Donnell, thank you. Hopefully we'll talk again in these next three weeks with the good news on the tax extenders. That, and that would hopefully, be wonderful. And the RFS uh, numbers as well. Thanks, Donnell. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. As we wrap it up for today, thanks for joining us. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow right here on AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second in time on the first double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop, that's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions.